0: I bow to my Guru as Brahma, as Vishnu, as Shiva, as the God of all all gods, and I bow to him in you. Remember, you too are God, but don't preen yourself. Because it's God who is you. You can't say that the wave, the wave, I should say, cannot say it is the ocean, but the ocean can say, "I am all the waves." God has become you, and God is your reality. I would like to, because we we've, we've talked a little bit already about my guru's healing people. He healed many people. This is a little story in my book, *The Path*, which. It's my autobiography, but it's really the purpose of this book is to tell what it was like to live with him. I've been reading that book again after some years. I have to say I really like it because it makes him alive. And uh, anyway, uh, this is a story told by his first disciple in America. In the early spring of 1923, Master told me, be careful of your health next summer. Caught up as I was in the bustle of an extremely busy life, I forgot his warning. In midsummer, however, I got my reminder with a vengeance. A severe gastrointestinal pain seized me. Days passed, my agony only increased. At last I prayed urgently to Master. It was, as I recall, a Wednesday in July when he came to my rescue. I had gone to my summer home in Plymouth, in Massachusetts. By this time, my endurance had reached a low ebb. Very early that morning, it must have been 2 or 3 o'clock, I heard Master's voice in the driveway, Doctor! Doctor! What a relief just to hear his voice. He had commandeered a car and had come all the way from New York, which is quite a distance away, in answer to my prayer. Entering the house with two students, he drew me aside. In that wonderful, unruffled way of his, he promised me that I would be all right. He then gave me a marvelous yogic remedy for use in such cases. My condition improved immediately. Soon, I'd recovered altogether. Many times, his cures were because of special knowledge. For instance, in this case, he didn't just poof, make him well, he gave him certain, a certain cure that he knew would be good for him. One time, Dr. Lewis, you see, my guru recommended a vegetarian diet to us, but Dr. Lewis, who came to him when he was about 28, had his habit somewhat established. He was going through all sorts of mysterious aches and pains, and he went to different doctors, and none of them knew what the problem was. So then he went to, my, to our guru. And he told him about the problem that he was having. And my guru said, well, it's because you have, your cells of your body are accustomed to eating meat. So eat a little bit once a week. Don't eat red meat like beef or pork, but eat little lamb or fish occasionally, fowl if you, if you like, just once a week. And the pains went away, and then he was able to go back to a vegetarian diet. But you see, he wasn't fanatical. He was very practical. There are some uh, very interesting stories in this book here about the practical side of his way of healing people. This is in the conversation number 138, if you happen to have this book. There was a woman, the Master said, who had been told by her doctor that one of her kidneys needed to be removed. She came to me for advice after asking God, I said to her, Why not check with several other doctors also? Don't base this important decision on the opinion of one man only. She went to two or three others, all of whom gave it as their opinion that the kidney might be saved. I then suggested she stop eating any form of meat and eggs and drink lots of grapefruit juice. Within a month she was feeling well. Then she went to her doctor, who found her, that her kidney problem had completely vanished whenever possible the master's cures were based on a simple on simple common sense his common sense however had in it also the ingredient of intuitive insight thus depending on the circumstances he would recommend various approaches to good health in his practical way he endorsed the dictum god helps those who help themselves you know In the spiritual life, everybody wants a miraculous cure by this great guru. But my guru helped us to understand we've got to learn to stand on our own feet. And he encouraged us to do those things that would make us well. And the truth is that often he operated behind the scenes and helped to make things happen. But he wanted us to depend more on our discrimination, our effort. And in that way, we would grow instead of just becoming passive Recipients, Now, there's too much passivity in this country where blessings of the saints are concerned. It reminds me of that story I mentioned a few nights ago of a disciple. that My guru was scolding him for being too light-minded, and the, guru, the disciple said, um, well, the disciple said, well, uh, how can I change without your blessings, sir? And my guru said, very matter-of-factly, my blessings are there already. God's blessings are there, it's your blessings that are missing. Well, it's interesting, I've told that story to audiences here in India, and when they hear the disciples saying, "It's uh, how can I change without your blessings every day?" he's oh, what a wonderful disciple. And their faces fall when I give my Guruji's answer. But he told us, and this is the balance between Buddhism and the more orthodox forms. Buddha emphasized, he came at a time when people were Doing uh, placing too much emphasis on Karmakand, Vedic rituals that would give them all the things they wanted. He said, you've got to make the effort. And uh, indeed, he was a great master, and he was not teaching anything different, but people didn't like that message, and so they sort of removed themselves from him, and it became a different religion. Hey, Buddha was a true Hindu, and his teaching was entirely Sanatana Dharma, But Sanatana Dharma transcends the Vedas. He didn't want people to depend slavishly on ceremonies and rituals and so on. doesn't mean they don't have validity, but the purpose of those various rituals in the Vedas which help you, this is how my guru explained it, that, that their purpose is to help you to become victorious or to become successful or to have children or find a good wife or husband, whatever it might be. The idea is people will seek these things anyway, but if they seek them with God's help, then their blessing, their gratitude will go to God, and their energy will go more to God. This is the purpose of it. But gradually, as darkness came upon the world, they began to become too dependent on those things. This is why Buddha emphasized the importance of standing more on your own feet. I used to teach yoga postures, and I've written a book on the subject, and we do teach it. We call it Ananda Yoga because the purpose of it is different from most Hatha Yoga. We teach the influence of different positions on your state of consciousness and how to bring the two together so that uh, you can use the postures to help you in your meditation. And this has become quite a famous system in America, but it's one I got by meditating on my guru's teachings and uh, um, asking his guidance in these things. But I've always said to people, when somebody asks me, for example, what do you consider the most important yogasana? I say, that one which teaches you to stand on your own two feet. You must learn to depend more upon yourself and your own power. There's another very interesting story here, which is again similar. It shows his emphasis on common sense, as opposed to some miraculous healing, and yet there was, there was certainly power behind it. He didn't want people to look to him as the source of miracles. I'm sure there was something more there. Nonetheless, there's also a certain wonder in the fact that he had the intuition to know. Okay, let me read the story itself. On another occasion, a man complained to the master of a tricky heart, as he put it. He was alarmed, however, to see the master pick up a pair of scissors. Don't be afraid, the master reassured him. I am not going to operate on you. What he did then was snip off a button from the man's waistcoat. Leave it that way, he said. Don't sew it back on. A few days later, the man returned. He reported almost incredulously, I'm perfectly well again. The master then explained to him, I saw you fiddling with that button, which was right over the heart. That was why you felt an irritation there. When you were no longer able to fiddle with the button, the irritation disappeared. A simple cure indeed. Who, however, before that man came to the Master, had even thought of that solution? Now, remember that God gave you common sense. He gave you your own intuition in order that you might grow. So when you go to saints, don't be slavish in wanting them to do it all for you. That way you won't grow. Remember, the more you can develop your own powers. This is why my Guruji used to try to always put it back on us. And when he gave us advice, he would always put it in such a way that we could take it or leave it. Well, we were wise if we did take it, but it was always geared toward making us Stronger in ourselves. This is the goal of yoga, too. You know, the three basic aspects of Indian philosophy are Shankya, Yoga, Vedanta. Shankhya basically tells you why you need to get away from delusion, why Maya is going to always disappoint you. It just, it's never, uh, It never brings you fixed fulfillment of any kind. But once you've decided that, then you need something more. So, what is the very beginning sutra of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras? Now, we come to the subject of yoga. Now, that word now seems like just a throwaway word. It's not. It means, it assumes that you've already studied up to that point where you're ready to learn how. That now says, okay, you've learned that you need this science. Yoga should not be given to people who don't know, who aren't ready, who don't want to do the work, but now, when you're ready, and when you're asking the question, how, that's when the subject of yoga comes up. And then comes Vedanta, which describes what happens when you practice yoga, so that it's always good when you're going somewhere to know where you're going. Vedanta tells you where you're going, and... uh, I tell you, the most beautiful thing in Vedanta I have ever read was my Guruji's poem Samadhi. It describes that state of cosmic consciousness in such a way that you can actually—it becomes real to you. So often it has been said by saints that it's oh, just—it's beyond description. Or uh, Guruji's role was to make these high and even mystical and abstract truths a reality. His goal and his mission was to bring those truths down to a level where you and I, in our daily lives, can have enough of a relationship to them to make them a part of our life. For example, that poem Samadhi. Naturally, you're not in that state all the time, but if if you memorize that poem and think of yourself as not identified with this little body, Don't feel that just this little tiny mud ball of a planet is your reality, but the whole system of stars and planets and comets and all the marvels of the universe are a part of your own self. When you can think in that cosmic way, you know, if you meditate on the truths of Vedanta, even though just meditating on ideas isn't going to give you that experience, it will inspire you, and it will help to break the bonds of the ego, which make you think that this is your whole reality right now. The, the difficulty that we face on the spiritual path is breaking the hypnosis of thinking that I am a, lit, a little ego, a little limited being. And so Vedanta is wonderful, but it won't get you there by itself. You can't just say i Brahmasmi and imagine that you've achieved anything. You must be practical. Yoga is the practical aspect of Indian philosophy. Yoga says how to do it and what to do in order to get to arrive at that realization. Yoga is more than anything else the special contribution of India to the world, that's why Guruji took. That's why my Guruji took the name Yogananda, divinely Sachidananda, through not just achieving yoga, but through practicing the science of yoga. And he was a great yogi. I remember this. The great yogis in India recognized him. I remember this, Sanyasa Ashram outside Delhi. I went to. There was a master there, and. When he heard I was Yogananda's disciple, he said, yogi te. He was a great yogi. But remember, the truth of your being can never die. That is who you are. You, you can go through all sorts of changes, but that truth will never die. Live in that truth, because that is who you are. Joy to you.
1: Who doubt To join the causes Others join and shout When others shout Come, you're a man, no passive stone Stand up and call your soul your own Go on alone, go on alone Vanish weakness, go on alone Go on alone, go on alone Don't look back, just go Men lack the daring ever to be free. They shun the heights and cloud the depths and court security. Come, you're a man, no passive stone. Stand up and call your soul your own. Go on alone, go on alone. Banish weakness, go on alone. Go on alone, go on alone, don't look back, just go on alone. see but pride in singularity, oh never mind. Call your soul your own Go on alone, go on alone Vanish weakness, go on alone Go on alone, go on alone Don't look back, just go on alone Claim the power within you but truth can never die come you're a man no passive stone stand up and call your soul your own go on alone